Good morning, Harbour City. Um, it really is a privilege to share with you this morning and teach out of our X Jesus Continued series. And I know this room is filled with different people, with different stories, different backgrounds. I know some of you are maybe exploring this thing called Christianity. I know some of you were maybe dragged along by a friend or family member. For that, I'm sorry, but also welcome. Um, today I'm speaking out of Acts 2, verse 42 to 47. And really the basis of this message is we're looking at the early church and exploring the community that they were. Um, the Bible titles it the Fellowship of the Believers. So we're looking at what they did, who they were, and really how can we use this as a blueprint for the kind of church community that we want to be today. Um, I grew up in a Christian home. Um, I grew up going to church. And so stories in the Bible were always familiar to me. Um, at one point, I was at a school where we had to memorize large chunks of scripture, and I was absolutely terrible at it. I think it was painful for me and the teacher as they would like have to prompt me with each next word. Um, but all this to say that um, the scriptures were familiar to me, but I distinctly remember reading Acts my first year out of high school and being so blown away by it. I, I felt like for the first time, the words were jumping off the page at me. It felt real, it felt exciting, and it felt relevant. And I think paired with the fact, um, at the time I was uh, immersed in kind of the church planting world, I was interning at Rob DeFord's church in Florida, um, and I was just exposed to a lot of other church plants in the U.S. at the time. And when I looked at the early church in Acts, it was something I wanted to be a part of. I wanted that grassroots, real radical group of Jesus followers sharing their very lives together. And if I'm honest, it was one of the first times I read the Bible for myself and it really excited me. And um, on that note, I hope this encourages you to start reading through Acts yourself um, personally. If you haven't read the, the scriptures before, Acts is actually such a great place to start. It's filled with action. It's filled with incredible stories of God's goodness in the early church. So what does Acts verse two, chapter 2, 42 to 47 say? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the needs distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Um, towards the end of last year, Grant and I had the privilege of being in San Francisco it's such a cool city. It's an amazing place. And as we were kind of building up to go, we did research, like I'm sure a lot of us do, what, what there is to do, what there is to see in the city. And um, I think, you know, most tourists, they go to see Golden Gate Bridge, um, perhaps the trolleys that go up those super steep hills. Um, not this girl. What I was really excited about was going to the Bodine Bakery. So the reason I was really excited is... Um, this bakery is famous for its sourdough bread. I'm not sure if there's any fans in the house. Um, but this bakery actually still uses its 160-year-old mother dough. 
So for those of you who are normal and don't know what mother dough is, I'll tell you a little bit of the story. Um, so what happened is this uh, family, the Bodin family, moved to San Francisco from France. And um, they started a little bakery, as the French do. And what they did is, you know, they started making bread the way we know. They kind of threw all the bread ingredients together. They made the dough. And then what they actually did is they, they cut the dough in half and they put half aside for the following day. And then they baked with the rest of the dough. And then the next day, they would take this dough they'd set aside and they would add more ingredients to it. And they would do the same thing. They would cut it in half and they would set aside half for the next day. And then something magical happened. Doing this process and the unique environmental conditions of San Francisco meant that a special good bacteria started to grow. And it was this unique ingredient that made the um, Bodin bread for its very famous sour taste that it has now. The mother dough became invaluable and it a unique component of the bread. Um, there was even one story as we walked around the bread museum, I was that into it, um, about Mrs. Bodine during the great fires of San Francisco running through the flames to rescue their sacred um, mother dough. Uh, they wanted to preserve this unique ingredient. So why am I telling you this long winded story about mother dough and bread, especially on a day we're not having communion and no one eats carbs anymore. Um, I think it's really when I read through this passage in Acts um, about the early church, this community of Jesus followers, I was reminded of this story. Um, the New Testament church is actually our mother dough of, of what her, uh, the church looks like, what a fellowship um, of Christians looks like. It was birthed in a unique time in history where the Holy Spirit broke out in Jerusalem and many people got saved and started to follow Jesus. And as we look at this community, we should get just, um, I guess, a taste of the unique flavor that it brought, the unique flavor um, that still exists in the many churches around the world today. It, it makes us different from any other social group or club in the world. And it's this idea of over the years, God has broken um, up this initial fellowship of believers and has multiplied into the churches we see all around the world. And I think as we read the scripture today, we need to be challenging and assessing ourselves and seeing, are we cut from the same mother dough as this first church? Sorry for the cheesy bit. Um, so I think maybe as we look at the scripture, um, it's good to clear up two things first. And I think some of us, when we read this passage, we kind of have these good old days glasses on, you know, ah, oh, nostalgic. Oh, that's what's so beautiful about a new early small church as they kind of was really intimate and they met in each other's homes. And it's, it's really sweet. But as the church grows, we kind of put all these practices aside. And um, actually, if we read just one verse ahead in verse 41, it says, so those who received his word talking about Peter's sermon at Pentecost, were baptized. And, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And the very next verse, which I read to you earlier, starts with, and they devoted themselves. It's talking about the same 3,000 people who were saved. I think it's so amazing to see the early church wasn't this quaint little startup. It was a mega church from the beginning. And that means no matter how big or small Harbor City becomes, um, this is something we can take and we can apply to our church. It's relevant to us. 
And I think secondly, it's important to see that actually um, being part of a community is very different to attending a church. As I was kind of reading and reflecting on this passage, I had to be honest and think actually one of the loneliest times of my life, I was part of a church, um, but I wasn't part of a community. And because of that, I felt very alone. There wasn't much sense of community. And I think also this this passage isn't about the mechanics of running a church. It isn't like a to-do list for us. Um, have regular church meetings, do small groups, give to the poor, take communion. It's actually about our active participation as a group of people who've been changed by Jesus and filled by the Spirit. And I think as we read this, we don't want to um, emulate the the behaviors of the early church, we actually want to emulate their hearts, what God had done with them and what he's doing with us. It's such a cool reminder of who God has called us to be as a community of believers. And I think sometimes we can get so distracted by just the activities of the church that we forget to go back to this. Are we living in the rhythms of the gospel of the early church? Um, I think we say it all the time from the front, that the church isn't a service you attend or a program you attend. It's a family you belong to. And if you're just attending Harbor City, I hope this, I hope this passage encourages you to maybe take your next step and get more involved. What does it look like um, for you to move from just attending on a Sunday to actually being part of the community? And as I started um, prepping for this and, and reading through this passage, it was so intimidating because I'm sure you can see it's so full of content, so much to say. I think I personally felt so challenged about materialism, generosity, thankfulness, being, awe of, being in awe of God, not being blasé about my faith, and so much else. I don't know what jumps out to you. But I think we can really... Um, summarize this text and let it shape our thinking and our hearts in three areas. I think it's about our relationship with God, about our relationship with each other, and our relationship with the world around us. So firstly, our relationship with God. I think the word that really struck me at the beginning of this passage is the word devoted. Um, I don't feel like we say that word a lot. It's really strong. I was thinking maybe we call our pets a devoted pet, a devoted dog. Um, I don't go to a party and introduce Grant as my husband, whom I am devoted to. You can imagine people's, <laughs> I should, you can imagine people's faces like, wow, guys, chill out. We know you have tons of weird nicknames for each other, but this is, it's taking things way too far. And the definition for the word devoted is steadfast, constant, committed, dedicated, staunch. And these are some really serious no messing around words. And it says the early church were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to praying together, meeting together in smaller and bigger groups. They regularly had communion and praised God. They were committed to knowing God for themselves. These things were so much more than ceremony or religious practices. They were deeply meaningful because they were centered on Jesus and what he had done for them. These things are so important for us too, because they're constantly reminding us of the gospel. They're constantly reminding us of how Jesus has saved our, our life. And I love how much this early church co took communion. We, we try and do it at least once a month here, but uh, I love this quote I read by Tony Morita. 
He says, the apostles preached to the ear about Jesus and the communion table preached to the eye about Christ. Such a visual representation of what God has done for us. And I think really as Christians, we should be devoted to God because he was first devoted to us. He gave up everything on the cross for us. So that if we receive the gift of forgiveness, we would no longer have anything that divided us from him. Not our past, present or future. Not our sins, not our mistakes. And he devoted his everything to us before we actually even acknowledged him. He's the guy awkwardly at the party who's saying loudly, I'm devoted to this one. I'm committed. I'm in it for the long run, no matter how they behave or what they do. Um, It's a radical action, and it actually demands a radical response from us. And maybe for some of you here, this devotion side of community doesn't quite make sense to you because maybe you haven't experienced Jesus' devotion for you personally. And today is an opportunity for you to experience that and for you to experience and receive Jesus's affection and forgiveness for you. And I'm not sure about you, but I think sometimes as Christians, we can also be like the person at the party going, wow, chill out if someone's a bit too intense or serious or devoted about their faith. But actually, this is how we should be as Christians The early church had experienced the power of the gospel and it put in them a hunger for the things of God, to learn more about the scriptures, to spend time together and remembering his death openly, communicating with him in prayer. And I specifically love the emphasis on scriptures here. John Stott says of the early church, we note that these new converts were not enjoying a mystical experience which led them to despise their mind or disdain theology. They weren't just riding on their last high from their last spiritual experience. They they wanted to know the Bible for themselves. How well, Harbor City, are we doing at knowing the scriptures um, for ourselves, taking ownership of that? It also says they were committed to going to the temple and meeting in smaller groups. And as much as Sundays aren't the entirety of our faith, they're such a big component. It's where we come together We praise God. We hear his word. Um, Sundays are powerful and important meetings and moments together as a community. And as our small groups, it's it's a much more interactive place where we, um, we hear teaching, we ask questions, we pray together. And if you're not in a life group, we'd really love to encourage you to join one. Um, It's really such an incredible way to know God for yourself. What does a greater devotion to Jesus look like in your life? Maybe it's taking time to read through the scriptures for yourself. This Acts series is such a great place to start. I think that's why we did these little booklets at the beginning of the series is we wanted to try and break up the scripture and be the kind of church that um, sat and reflected on the word. Um, Maybe you need to look at your attendance weekly or in small groups, meeting with a smaller group of believers more regularly. And we're not doing this because we want to church the We want to tick the boxes of church membership. We really want to do this because this is how we grow. And this is how we get to know God better for ourselves. The next thing this passage challenges us on is our relationship with each other. Tim Keller says, Just as the single most formative experience in our life is our membership in our nuclear or immediate family, 
So the main way we grow in grace and holiness is through deep involvement in the family of God. Christian community is more than just a supportive fellowship. It's an alternative society. And it is through this alternative society that God shapes us into who and what we are. The early church community were in each other's lives. They had everything in common. There was incredible unity. Like Grant mentioned, there was unity among them, a supernatural unity. And that can exist in our church today as well. It's not based on our cultures, similar cultures, histories, or backgrounds. This actually hinges on the fact that we have a shared experience of being transformed by Jesus. Verse 45 says, Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone who had need. This is such an incredible um, statement about the early church's radical generosity and lack of materialism. But this verse actually, it also tells us something else. It tells us that they were known among each other. They knew if people had needs. That means there was incredible vulnerability to admit when they were lacking and they needed help and actually to have the humility to accept it. And I think so so many of these things can be hard in community, but are we willing enough to be known, to expose our shortcomings and ask for help and then have the humility to accept it? It really goes against, like James mentioned last week, of it's me against the world mantra. Actually, we need each other as a community. Tim Keller again says, To be known and not loved is our greatest fear, but to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of self-righteousness, and fortifies us against any difficulty life can throw at us. Um, Last year, I ended up really hurting my back. We were on a ministry trip at the time, and we were staying with people, and I was just pretty useless. Grant had to help me get changed every day. He had to put on my shoes. I had to have someone kind of open and close the the car door for me, help me get in and out, even carry my handbag. And it was so frustrating. I I really felt so frustrated just at the lack of independence and then just feeling so bad watching people have to like run around and look after me. And I remember the one day um, Andy Rogers, who I'm sure many of you know, he's preached in our church quite a few times over the last few years. He sent me a message and he said, Shell, I'm going to get you a hot pack for your back. Um, And I was like, thank you, Andy. That's so kind. That's awesome. And then I I looked around where we were staying and I realized we actually didn't have a microwave. So I just sent him a message and said, you know, don't worry, there's actually no microwave. Um, And then Andy came back about an hour later with a hot pack and then a brand new microwave that he'd just gone and bought at the shops. And I was so blown away. It, It was such radical generosity. And it took humility to accept. Are we a community that is vulnerably known and generously helping one another? Verse 46 tells us that this community met in bigger groups at the temple and then smaller groups in each other's homes. Are we doing life together? They were so passionate about seeing, sorry, are we doing life together? It's something we are so passionate about seeing at Harbor City. Um, Are we in and out of each other's lives throughout the week or are we just saying hi and bye on a Sunday? 
We're looking out for each other, caring for one another, sharing meals together. Um, It's something we've emphasized so much in our church over the last few years, maybe too much, is that we're a church that loves Jesus and loves food, hence why we're having another feast. Um, Is this because we're a gluttonous church who loves food? Maybe. I'm feeling kind of embarrassed that my one example is about bread right now. But um, really the reason we emphasize this is we want to be a church that eats together, sits around a table together, enjoys one another's company, celebrates together, spends time in each other's homes like Jesus did. Ajith Fernando says, The early church, of course, followed the example of Jesus who enjoyed his meal so much that he was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. He broke the stereotype of a religious person in whose presence others were not supposed to have fun. We should be having fun together. We should be celebrating. Our our times together should be full of joy and laughter, feasting with one another. Are we regularly hanging out, sharing vulnerably about the tough things that are going on in, in our lives, sometimes challenging each other, um, accepting help where we need it, loving and being friends with those who are different to us. And this leads me to my last point, our relationship with the world. Verse 47 says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Isn't that amazing? I think sometimes when we read this passage, we can think it's a very in-house kind of preach. This is about us as the church, you know. But actually what we see is that the early church weren't so sucked into kind of their own community and their own activities that they ignored the people around them. I think that can be such a trap for us as a church. Uh, We can busy ourselves with work, with activities, with hobbies, with exercising, even with good things like spending time together, but it means we neglect those who don't know Jesus around us. What we don't read is that this early church had evangelistic programs for that, aimed at telling people about Jesus. Instead, it seems actually they just lived out their faith in a devoted, real way by being a church that was radically generous, vulnerable, humble, being a community that constantly met in each other's homes, joyfully eating and hanging out, keeping Jesus's sacrifice the front of their memory by taking communion together often. And I'm not sure how many of you have felt challenged by us running Alpha, who to invite, if you even have anyone to invite. For those of you who know um, Grant and I well, maybe you don't even need to know us that well. It's getting embarrassing, but we love a good old personality test. Uh, We find them so interesting and insightful, uh, just the way we tick, the way other people tick. Um, And one of the things I've learned about myself through these tests in the last few years is that I'm a bit of a peacemaker. Um, So that means that, you know, I like things to be peaceful. I like people to be comfortable i.e. I don't want to disturb the peace of a moment or a conversation. Um, One of the weaknesses of this is that sometimes I'm overly hesitant to say something that I fear might make someone feel uncomfortable. That means I'll try and keep things pretty light about church and God. And um, I remember one time Grant and I were leaving our apartment block and we were chatting to one of our neighbors. We were walking to our car, you know, just like chit chat. 
And our neighbor said to us, oh, where are you guys off to? So Grant like loudly and proudly said, we're off to a deacon's meeting. And I just like cringed inside because I could see our neighbor just like had the blankest look on their face and had no idea what he was talking about. And we kind of joke, we joked and I teased Grant afterwards about using kind of such churchy language. And I think there's truth and wisdom in how we talk to people who don't know Jesus. And um, we want to be thoughtful. But actually, um, I've watched Grant and I've thought about that time um, a few times since then. And I'm so amazed at when I see Grant honestly open up about his life and answer questions. I'm so amazed at people's responses, how they react and end up opening up about their lives too. And I'm not sure about you, but um, I think as a Christian, uh, growing up, I saw so many people speak to people who weren't following Jesus, like unthoughtfully and irrelevantly, um, and watch kind of some of the damage done through that. But I think my problem is I, I have found myself I've reacted and swung to the other extreme. To be relevant almost meant just like not talking about my faith um, or about my relationship with Jesus. Instead, just having a really cheerful demeanor, trying to be positive, um, and people would just magically come to know who Jesus was. And I have years of experience now to know that does not work. I am not nearly cheerful or positive enough for that to work. And I, I don't think many of us are. And I think we really need to get into the habit sharing about our life and our devotion to Jesus in a normal, everyday way. And I think my prayer as we've done Alpha is that we wouldn't be inspired to do more and more Alphas, but actually doing Alpha would just open up our eyes to the people around us who don't know Jesus, and that we'd start to intentionally engage with them every day. Uh, the early church were passionately loving Jesus and one another, and they didn't hide it from people around them. They invited people into their stories. I think that's something I'm so challenged by. I can't imagine that the people in the early church, that you know, people were added to their number daily by Christians shutting off their devotion and their generosity and their love to those around them. Are we living lives of public devotion to Jesus and radical love for one another? Are we inviting people into that? Are we being thoughtful about what we say, or are we actually just trying to hide our faith from people? And I think the reality is this preach can sound idealistic. Um, as I speak this morning, I'm so aware of my weakness in all three of these areas. But I'm reminded of Jesus. I'm reminded of the fact that he did this perfectly, when we look at his life, we see a life that was devoted to God. We see a life where he faithfully and graciously loved his followers. And we see a life where outsiders were actually just drawn to him and he spent time with them. He managed to balance all three perfectly. And the joy of that is when my devotion is lacking when my selfishness and independence is winning, when my witnessing is weak, the gospel tells me I get Jesus' perfect record in that. That takes so much press, pressure off. It's easy to read this passage in the book of Acts and think, okay, this is um, a book about the acts of the church. But actually, this is a book about the acts of Jesus through his Holy Spirit. He's chosen to use us 
frail, um, imperfect, sinful people to carry on his work. That's why we've called this series Jesus Continued. It's what he's continuing to do through us. In the ordinary parts of our life, like chatting to a neighbor on the way to church, by having people around our dinner table, by praying and reading his word daily. And I'd just like to end um, really by praying for us as a community. Um, For those of us who actually our devotion to Jesus is lacking at the moment, or maybe for you, if you feel on the outskirts of this church, you're attending, but you're not part of a community. And actually just for the people, the many people um, in our lives who don't know him. So I'd just like to pray. I don't know if the band wants to get up and I'll pray. If you want to stand. Jesus, we thank you for Sunday mornings. Um, We thank you for the times during the week where we get together, um, where we listen to teaching, where we worship, where we pray together. And God, I pray for those of us who maybe our devotion is lacking, God. Maybe our own um, passion for who you are and what you've done for us. Perhaps we need to just really dig into your scriptures for ourselves, know your word for ourselves. Jesus, I pray Harbour City would be a church that is devoted to you, God. We'd be devoted and we wouldn't try and hide that or be ashamed of it, Jesus. God, I pray, um, I pray for those in this church who are attending, but God, they don't feel part of a community. They haven't experienced just the radical power of community in their lives. Jesus, I pray you would pull them in, God, with friendships, um, through our life groups, through Alpha, whatever it is, God. I pray you would pull people into this community. We would love each other well. Um, We'd be vulnerable in our weaknesses. We'd be humble in receiving help from one another. And God, I pray as we do all of these things, Jesus, that it would be a signpost to who you are, Father, um, that the world would see the church and they would see um, more of your character and more of who you have called us to be, Jesus. Thank you, God. Amen.